Hey, what's up, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 187. As you can see, tank top today, man. It gets hot in here. It is boiling in here. And that's my man, Ty Coots. It is boiling out there. It is so hot. This guy decided to do his podcast portion outside. Buckle up, people. The episode starts right now. Oh, that was loud. <laughs> what up, Ty? What's up, Jason? How you doing? So listen, for everybody listening at home, you have asked. You have asked and you have asked and asking you shall receive because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Ty Coots is in the house, man. Ty, what's up, baby? We're, we're here. <laughs> we started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> um, yeah, before we got on the podcast, uh, um, I had like this written subject matter, but you know, that, that kind of goes out the window. This thing right here, just kind of whoosh, you know? But let's start from present to past. Let's talk about motherload, dude. Let's talk about Motherload. Let's talk about the 50th anniversary. Let's talk about this this magical escapism type atmosphere that that the Motherload provides every year. Never mind, never mind uh, the fifth, the 50th anniversary. So, you played with. Tell everybody, say it with me. Yeah, yeah, Gage Basie. What a pleasure. Yeah, he's all about that Basie, right? No, no trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, for those of you that have been living under a rock or, or that were too absorbed in the Manhattan Beach Open, we, we, I, uh, there was a tournament, or the Chicago Open, there was a tournament called the Motherload Tournament where there was some, some talented people locally, there were some talented people that came, in, uh, that came from the outside, and it just turned out to be this fantastic, magnificent uh, tournament all the way to the finals. And I want to talk about, let's talk about Motherload, then I want to just talk about the environment. So Motherload, you play with Gage Basie, right? And for those of the, them, anyone living under a rock, Gage Basie and his brother Lars um, were, have, you know, made quite the stir this year, right? They, they great, pretty good victories in Denver and, and Atlanta, right? They beat Taylor and Taylor in Denver. They beat Alvado and Case Beer, and they beat Dietrich and um, Caldwell on Atlanta. So they've, you know, so yeah. for, yeah, so I mean, they just, they just beat the NBA, they just beat the NBO champions, the Manhattan Beach Open champions. So I mean, so I, I chose, I, sometimes I, I got a choice, I chose right. So very, very much, let's, let's do this full circle moment, then I'll shut up. Last year, knocked in a content, or were you in the contenders bracket or, or winners for last year? Last year, so Gage and I also played last year. Right. And we got up to the semifinals or like the game to get into the semifinals and was that um, through the winner's bracket though yeah winner's bracket didn't okay. lose a match yeah. until we're in the semis um and we see gage's brother lars in the semis and ian carlson and so um and i had not seen ian carlson used to train out here with us in colorado um I hadn't seen it. I stopped playing volleyball for like two years. Once COVID hit, I was disappeared for like two years. So that's like my first year back kind of thing, just having fun. And I hadn't seen Ian in a while. And uh, Ian was a different player than I saw. He was an animal that game, just blocked me like 10 times in a row. I like just built a house and I could not escape it. And so they won the semifinals. They go on to the finals and they beat Mark Burek and Jeff Samuels in the finals. I remember um, that, yep. And so... That was the end of our mother load. 
last season and this season we got to see him again but one game earlier um so when we it was a 22 20 24 22 and then 16 14 just battle against ours and and they ended up taking it um so we dropped down to the contenders and uh worked our way back up to see we thought we were going to see them again in the final but we ended up seeing skyler and christian in the final yeah so Take me through the the uh, losing. You're losing in a winner's bracket. You wind up in a contender's bracket. Uh, my two questions are: one, how do you, um, how do you hit the reset button, knowing that you know, like that you lost, and you're like, okay, we lost, but we ain't got time for this, you know, and we still have a shot. Is that? Am I answering your own question for you? Is there? Is that? Was that the mindset when you when you got knocked to the contender's bracket? Yeah, good question. Um, for us, so. When we lost, that was the end of the tournament for the day for us. So we had time to sit and reflect and gauge, even though he just turned 20 and he seems like a young kid, he is just wise in the mind, you know what I mean? And um, of course I'm seeing every serve, right? Gage is taking nines consistently in ADP main draw. So the people are serving me instead of him and, uh, what it boiled down to is they really got me on some fours that I didn't recognize. So a lot of four recognition was kind of the downfall to that game. And um, him just kind of just calmly talking about it and saying like, you know, talking about my um, attacking angles and vision and seeing that four recognition and just developing kind of a, a higher contact point cut shot um, that's going to fall, whether it's a four or just a stand, you know what I mean? Like just, just getting that to defender it. to creep up into my cut so then i have my high line more open or slap down if i see a four but um really just like he's like this is the one thing that's going to open up your game you get the high contact cut shot and so in the loser like the contenders bracket as we faced two other good teams it gave me a chance to develop that exact shot more comfortably off of the tempo kind of offense that we were running um because we only had a, a day we practiced once before the tournament and like we said hey let's run cool jump shoots and back ones and stuff and just have a lot of fun with it and so like it wasn't a well-oiled machine by any means but being able to have two more games and the contenders actually kind of helped me get that piece of my like that tool in my tool belt a little more refined and um used it a, a decent amount in the finals to help uh be skyler as a great defender Okay, when you were talking about four, for some of the more novice audience, were you talking about the four, the block, the four block switch, or were you talking about the four ball location? Just, just for some, uh, for, for for context, I think I think you're talking about the block, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm seeing the blocker line up mm-hmm. in my line, which right. in my mind, I have high line open, right? right? And the defender, I can see the defender, and then all of a sudden, right on contact, right before doing that last minute switch, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the blocker's now blocking angle and the defender's just walking into my easy line shot that I gave them. Yeah. So that that four block that they ran against me led to some real points for them, um, which were at some crucial times in the game, especially a game that close, right? So Yeah, so for my audience, I swear to God, I'm not trying to clown you, okay, for, for reference and context. Because as you know, this, this is the Option Podcast. This is a very educated audience. But re, uh, last week, I was coaching someone actually who was in Col- lives in Colorado, but it's in Hermosa Beach, and had no idea on, on, on the three and the four. And I just, I, I was like, you know, we only have this finite amount of time. So I'm like, all right, look, I, um, 
odd numbers line, even numbers cross. So, so, so just so I don't assume everyone knows the difference between a two and a four. Two, a two block, you're basically in a fixed position, and and the defender's there before they hit a contact. You know, at least there before they hit a contact, and maybe maybe hides it behind behind the block a little bit. Because quite frankly, I don't even think a lot of people see that person just sitting there on the two. Which is why I, I like as a coach, I like the two more than the four. Because I'm like, dude, you don't you, you don't even know they don't, they don't even see you. you're doing this last minute switch. They have no idea you're just sitting there. Okay, so so for my audience, four block is the blocker is showing showing line and then jumping into cross, right? And the defender's making a last minute switch to line and very, very vice versa as such for the three block. So for the people at home, three block, uh, uh, ones and threes, odd numbers line, even numbers cr uh, cross. There's a five block, there's fifths. We ain't get, we ain't getting into that because we're, we're, cause you know I can steer us both off the cliff and, and you were trying to make a, a bigger point here. Um, but I just wanted that. And it's weird because I, I, we just, me and you, we just assume, right? We, we, we've been in this right. for a long time. And my, I assume my audience knows because, you know, I have a, a, a dedicated following of just volleyball savages all over the country, including Colorado. So, so was, do you, weird question, do you consider um, losing them in their winner's bracket kind of a mixed blessing? in that regard because last year like you lost to them and you're like there's no second crack because it's the semifinals right because once you hit the semis there's no more losers and winners right you, you either you do you you go or you're out so uh for Correct. people yeah. Are yeah. educating double elimination for people but go ahead yeah last year we definitely saw them in the worst spot right you want to see that team in the final or the one before the semifinal so when we saw the bracket come out and like like everybody does, you start analyzing if things shape out the way you think they're going to, this is where we're going to meet that team. Um, and we knew that was almost the perfect spot to see him, right? Because you want to have that sample size, right? <laughs> right. Like, okay, if, like, no matter if you lose this, we're still in it. We have a chance. We learned some things. I'm still like bittersweet about it. Cause like it was ours to lose. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. did that on the first and like we had it in the second and then like i said that four recognition mm -hmm. led them to take it from me and then the third was an absolute battle so um i'm still sad that we didn't get to see them again in the final because again they beat us last year and then yeah. they squeak by a game that in my mind we should have won and then we don't get to see them again so i still want to see that team and beat them but um to be able to come back and beat the team who beat them for the finals is still pretty nice yeah, uh, look, um, it feels sweeter to beat the t the, the only team you lost to, right? It feel, it's better for your your the storybook in your head. It's better for the storybook in the muddle of tournament for the audience watching, and for a lot of the people, a lot of the fans, you started gaining through the tournament through every win. Your 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 your, your crowd size, and and it's weird because I compare this to the Partain brothers, like when they made their first main draw in um, 2015, when they were in a, like they saw the, a lot of people were there for the draw, right? Huge crowd, but I was there for the qualifier, and I just watched their their size get bigger for every win, and then third round. All of a sudden it's like this main draw you know like atmosphere for a qualifier game it wasn't even round four it was round three and they and he was playing his coach mike playcheck and matt Motter, who they beat um but but that was uh just conveying uh to our to our, our listeners um what the atmosphere must uh felt like for you um didn't it feel it felt didn't it feel like there are just a few more people for every match and people were taking that journey with you you know yeah absolutely. and i think um 
you kind of commonly, like you said, you see that throughout uh, tournaments and it's as the story grows, but also as the day gets a little bit later, right? And the, no, nobody really wants to wake up super early morning for a 7 a.m. match contenders, right? Like, right. so like, granted, that's probably normal to have a smaller crowd then and then it grows and grows. But then you still see like, with Aspen in, in general, it's a lot of people that like you don't really commonly see because it's just locals that have lived in the town or been following this tournament for 50 years that like uh, like Jeff is really well known. He's been there over and over yeah. again. So Anyone the, with the Casey, yeah. And, 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 yeah. I mean, he, he jumps out of the sand. He's pretty easy yeah. to recognize, right? Yeah. And he won <laughs> so, with Casey too, So if I remember. Right. 2018, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, Three years ago, I think Jeff Samuels won with Eddie Mishu. Yes. He trains with me almost every week, and I can't say his last name. Eddie Mishu, shoot that, shoot that. Don't say Mishugano, <laughs> okay? I'm from New York. All right. No, but go ahead. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, to see Jeff in the semifinal, obviously there was a crowd around that one. So, um, yeah, every every win was a little bit more fun and a little bit sweeter, a little bit bigger crowd. And then, of course, like, I'm born and raised in Colorado and Home field I, yeah. I was playing this tournament when I was 14 years old in the grass, you know, it's my first year ever playing volleyball and watching these sand players in like, awe, you know, and just being like, how did they do that? And, mm -hmm. and then, so being able to go from that to here today, this is kind of a cool, like full, full circle moment. Yeah. Listen, they say, um, championships are not won by blowouts they're won by two point victories so i want you to consider even last year when you lost at least i think i think one if not both that are set so we're um to so you you know um it's against basie and carlson a year ago right uh, i believe uh, both of those sets were, were decided by two points um and i also believe that when the semifinals when you played adam roberts and jeff samuels um that was also decided uh, one of those games game two was decided by two points there was like this lead and then you guys kind of like crept back or whatever. So um, even the finals, right? Second set, it was 22-20. So which actually let's let's look at a little bit of a little bit of video. Let's talk about these these two point victories. And I want to talk about your mindset and, and the constant level of concentration it takes. Here we go. Wow. Zone four. Perfect serve. Good pass. Oh, and that's what you call using your head in a bad way. Too bad for them. A great run by Skylar Del Sol and the kid, Christian Hoover, from the winner's bracket to the finals. Great run by them, but this moment does not belong to them. This moment belongs to the hometown kid. This moment belongs to Ty Coots. This moment belongs to Gage Basie. Congratulations to the winners. Two sets to zero, Randy. Sorry. <laughs> On the 50th annual. Thank you. I had to get Randy in there. <laughs> men's Open Division goes to Gage Basie and Ty Coots. All right, cool. I just wanted to show that. So walk me through, walk me through match point, right? You, you. Uh, listen, when I spoke to Skylar, because I was speaking to, you know, me, I talked to everyone. When I spoke to Skylar, I, I said, you know, in order to win this tournament, you have to beat, a, a, um, you have to probably play both bases. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? And they weren't playing together, right? So now they're playing yeah. separately. And I'm like, so, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta beat a basie twice. Uh, in, yeah. in order to 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 win the whole thing, but um, but that was Skylar. I'm, I want to talk about your moment. Walk me through 2120. 
Um, was there a conversation? Was it business as usual? Was it one of those things you just treated like zero zero game to two? Um, the floor is yours, my man. Yeah, I um, and even going back at like later that night, I rewatched the match just to like see game film and break things down. But um, it never felt that close. And I don't want to say that in like some like bragging way. Like it, they played really well. Like it was a close game for sure. It just you know those moments and i think in your commentary and randy was saying it you know this is the this is the nervous time this is this the nerves are out when it's like down to 18 18 in the set but playing with gauge it's just a calm attitude and atmosphere and it's just like it's just like you're hanging out on the beach having a good time with your buddy you know so like his presence on the court and the style of offense we were running just kept me calm and collected and uh not really stressing too much the the very last point obviously the block that went off his head and you could see the effort he made to try to dodge the ball and it just caught his head on the way yeah exactly it's it's a fun way to win it but like strategy wise we knew christian's tendencies by that point and he's a swinger or shooter he's had more success in a high line than a cut and running again running a four on that play with him is let's see if he makes a smarter move and hits the cut shot to win or if he's just going to try to ego swing it by me and i i got lucky with some hand placement and caught his head on the way out yeah actually i want to rewind that point let me um go back to camera four for a second and i want to um it's Kyla Del Swole. I want you to watch his footwork the on the outside. He does go. this. He goes four ball, right? Wow, zone four. Now watch the serve. footwork. Good pass. Okay, it's, oh! it's not. It's not really. And that's what you call. Sorry, it's not really like an indoor thing. So it's, sorry, I thought I saw something completely different. Sometimes, as an indoor player, you know, like outside hitters have something called a pivot foot, where their left foot is like parallel to the net, and it gives you more range to beat that two man or three man block. But at the same time, uh, it limits your. Um, your range as far as like your your eyesight and your ability to see the court so um yeah he uh that four block really worked against him because i don't even think for the most part he saw the switch and the only time he actually saw the switch was when he passed the ball forward like more in front of him and skylar was actually setting the ball where skylar's set location was was in front of you the block where and and there were some plays he just saw and he's like four block boom you know try to beat this hard line on your last minute switch good luck with that right so so yeah, I don't. Oh, Jesus Christ! I don't even have a question. That was just volley. We're just volley talking here. But do you think the? Four, I guess my question is: Do you think the four block switch because uh, worked because he didn't have, because um, he was missing some range on that? And it was also was some, the other question is like Christian Hoover was a big surprise for everyone. No one even saw this guy. This guy came out of nowhere. So was watching him during the tournament and like doing some on the job scouting um more more productive to your win against him he's the guy to get all the serves this is why i'm asking the question absolutely yeah and uh yeah christian surprisingly like christian and i played the veil king of the mountain tournament earlier this same year um so colorado has like a whole mountain series like steamboat veil motherload uh um I'm forgetting more, but like there's yeah. five different mountain tournaments that are throughout the summer, which are all super competitive. Um, and also just a great reason to go out into the mountains and camp and- Are all of them in Aspen? Where, where like, give me an example where some of them are are, are, are located. 
So Vale um, is the king of the mountain tournament. There's the steamboat doubles up in steamboat. Um, and where is and that? Then, so steamboat is like. Um, is, is it so an Vail's Aspen? Was that? Is it an Aspen? Yeah. So a Aspen, like four hours from Denver. Okay. Uh, Vale is the closest one. It's like an hour and a half. And then like steamboat is a little bit further in. It's like two, two and a half hours from Denver. And then there's like Breckenridge, which is called like the Putterhead Tournament. Um, so it's it's played in like Silverthorne and Breckenridge, and that's uh, right around that same two hour mark. Um, but beautiful, gorgeous towns, right? And, and good volleyball that like all the locals are going to consistently. But also like Motherlode has the prestige that like it's the 50th anniversary. Right? We've had Casey Patterson and Sean Rosenthal and some of the greats play this type of tournament where Vale and Steamboat and Breckenridge aren't at that level of prestige, but um, still great tournament. So Christian and I played Vale together and um, I saw all of their serves. And it, like I said, <laughs> I, I, I have not been really like that volleyball was not my emphasis this year i was working on my career and getting my business started and so like to be able to have the success i've had this season of like qualifying in denver and winning aspen was a very much so a surprise the games i played in Vail with christian did not go as successfully i uh i definitely did not perform at my highest level and i don't think christian did either because like what i saw in aspen is like he played out of his mind he like really he was did falling out all 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 weekend in aspen and the kid like he can play like he yeah. so like saying he came out of nowhere for sure like in the like large picture like around the nation sure but like here us in colorado we've seen this kid grow up since he was like 12 and you just knew like this kid can play yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was cool to see him in the final at aspen um that being said he's still a kid so the four block in the final was like a kid's going to want to ego swing hard cross on game point. And that's just a statistical average that we thought was going to play out. Yeah. And it did play out. And and you are right. He was very, very new to guys like me. I mean, I'm a bi-coastal guy, but uh, I am guilty of just flying the plane over the Midwest from East to West. But um, yeah. And I, it's really, really intriguing to know that to you guys he's been there the whole time <laughs> that's that's awesome because I, I i got to talk to him and um i'm, I'm bringing him up on the podcast because he's moving to florida right or he's going to spend some time in florida and his name is christian hoover you guys hear the name man go out go out say hi to this kid you know invite him to play invite him to train coaches he he is he's so promising he's such he's got such a great uh, um mentality he's a partner where you don't have to deal with your partner you know how some people have strong personalities like skylar if you remember skylar was a very difficult partner to play with because he was you know he's a redhead he was a hothead you know but considering what this guy did in motherload right he knew he's going to get all the serves right skylar del sol is not exactly the the blocker the full-time blocker in, in, in most of the, the the games you play for the people that know Skylar, right? One of the best setters in, in, in the on the beach. Top three setter, like hands, set location, you know, uh, right? I mean, how am I doing with him so far? Oh, 100%. Like yeah. Skylar, yeah. I I would argue that he is up there in the upper echelon of like the greats. Like Bogals, the Hauser's hands, obviously amazing. Yeah. But like Skylar can set from anywhere yeah, like he is Dahl's running jump dolls ain't jump setting no <laughs> yeah, it's a different level but skyler's out there back end line 20 feet and still taking it with his hands and yeah. just perfect location it was, it's just like he does some of the most ridiculous setting things that 
people don't even think should be attempted and it comes out perfect. So, yeah, um, well, I, I brought up setting because I wanted to talk about you engage the way you guys were setting each other. But I wanted to finish what, you, what we were saying about Skylar. We want to finish that thought. Yeah, I was just saying, like, um, like as far as, again, Colorado volleyball, right? Growing up, like he's Skylar's the reason I'm playing beach volleyball. Like I finished my indoor career. I coached a little like um, here and there and started a beach club with Nathan Yang and but really like playing like Skylar took me under the wing and like I trained with Skylar, worked out with Skylar, ended up moving in and living with Skylar. Uh, he, he, the volleyball IQ of that man is yeah. far none. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but he's a Colorado guy and uh, committed to stay in Colorado. And it's always like, you know, these California and bi-coastal like Florida is always like, you look at the, top 20 people of the ADP list right now. And you're going to see a lot of CA, 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 CA. Um, but well, nowadays, tra like this, <laughs> yeah, some Florida's in there. Um, Tim Baumgren being the exception right. with a Minnesota flying in there. And Evan Corey, right? And um, Evan Corey, for sure, yeah. with Louisiana. And if, um, and, I mean, and Hawaii is not California. People need to know that, right? Like, I mean, take Hawaii out of that. That's like, 15% of your top five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. No, go ahead. Sorry. Um, but it's great. I love seeing like the Logan Weber, Evan Corey, Tim Bongren, like the the effect it has on the sport to see people coming from different states and like they like you have no idea. Like the people, the amount of people that probably look up to Evan Corey mm -hmm. and like want to be him or are playing this game because of him, like we have no idea, right? It's just like it's something special in that state. And I think that's what Skyler did in this state for like not just me, but probably the bases and for Christian Hoover. And uh, like, he was the one to look to because he was the one out there doing it, traveling to California and playing in main draws and being an inspiration. And anyone that's ever played with him um, locally or, or, or nationally or, or even internationally, but mostly domestically will say the same thing. Like John Mesco played with him a lot trail a lot of tournaments against him and with him in the NVL. Piotr Marciniak, right? Um, they, 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 they rule the NVL um, for, for such a long time. Ed Ratledge, you know, got to play with him somewhere at the end. But, but, I, but yeah, like top three setter domestically, like out of anyone. Forget locally, right? I, I, for me, all right, my list, my top three, I got to go Phil. Uh, because Phil sets, you're a former indoor guy, and all you're looking for, whether you play indoor beach or grass, is a set that the blocker's going to have a hard time with, and at the same time, the hitter can just comfortably do the things that 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 um, exercise his talent or, or mental acumen and physical prowess, right? So I go Phil for that reason, right? Um, and not even first. I go Rafael Rodriguez, great set fluidity the fluidity and the set location the discipline of him squaring his shoulders to the pole to get uh, instead of doing this or that that gives the hitter his range back from here to there and for the artist that, that doesn't understand that tough tough noogies i'm not explaining that right now uh, um yeah and then skylar so you you can put whatever order one, two, three, which you, you know, we are, we're going to, we all can have a great discussion, but to not have those three in there. Well, hell Jeff Samuels too, man, Jeff, you know, Jeff Samuels hands are just, wow. You know, he look, put someone wants a high set. They'll do that. Boom. You know? And, and yeah, but I wanted to say that about Skylar. Go ahead. No, I, 
it's funny the because Jeff Samuels said another player that used to come here and train like when him and Skyler used to actually play together right and I was living with Skyler at the time so he came and trained constantly um and just he got just some flack for his set uh just because like he comes at it at like a kind of a lower um right but like location wise consistency like I'm not nothing against a great setter right it's just everyone's hands look a little bit differently right, right. like to how they actually like high and quick up by the forehead or down by the nose or it's just like i've heard people giving jeff some flack for his setting yeah i mean it's talk about weird techniques like tim bomgren right and almost it looks like he's he he's he's got a weird dish set right and i think it's almost like left hand is whole hand right hand is like three fingers it's i mean if you look really really closely i'm left-handed too and most i don't know if you know there's a lot of lefties do that like um, mm. pretty, I'm pretty sure Partain did that for indoor at UCLA. It's like whole hand, whole hand left, three on the right, you know. And 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 most of those guys who are indoor setters, it's it's weird because it sets up their option really nicely, which um. And, uh, yeah, talking about <clears throat> setters and like Partain's going to quickly come up that list. I mean, the things they're doing mm -hmm. with that jump set option, and I think that's kind of where you're going with the next question is because that's definitely a style of play that Gage and I were trying to emulate and adapt, having that constant option threat with the jump set tempo after it um well he's a great and, blueprint and, he's a good blueprint my man but go ahead <clears throat> yeah i was just saying like that like the the consistency at which that kid is is setting those high level difficult balls is is something to be said for for sure well you know what i like about partain the difference between him and like the other people that are doing it which are the swedes who who basically made it an art form is that you never see him not never, but you rarely see him face the net as if he's going to hit and then jump set sideways. He's he's a left-handed hitter. He squares mm -hmm. up to the net. So now the deception's still there. And now his margin for error is now out and in, which you as a, as a, as a left side or whatever can easily adjust to as opposed to running to the net and you're jumping, you're doing this. And, and if you fool the block, someone has an open shot. That's awesome. But uh, as teams begin to crack the code, and, and see hit setters body language when they jump and like if you remember he beat Maul and Sorum right but you remember the, the next tournament Maul's watching the jump set like the Swedes or whatever and he's like he ain't hitting you know because he already he, they already they, they already scattered it out those Eastern European coaches are living in the video room like like hermits dude I swear to you um so that you can't crack the code of your in system right because sometimes they gotta jump right otherwise they're gonna see it and hit but the thing that's gonna give Miles Partain uh, and I can use Basie on this too, he does it really well, is the ability to stay square and, and do this and do that as opposed to this and this. Because what happens is if they're not fooled and the net's right here, sorry, the net's right here, and you do this, your margin for error is going to be behind the hitter's head or it's going to be tight, like into the setting into the block. So that's the, the, the drawback, the situation where they scout you out and they're like, all right, he's not hitting this and I'm waiting right here. You got to, they get the people that are doing it have to make sure they, that, that their accuracy is on point because it creates a margin for error. That's more beneficial to the block, but we don't, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you get in on this because you have a thought, but, but that's not the situation with Partain because Partain, he's playing his margin for error left and right out or out to the to, as far as the antenna is concerned out and in which part which andy banesh can hit all day in fact it looked like the margin for error actually looks like part of the play it looks like they meant to do that so you know they're dirty little secret but something you wanted to add to this the whole setting thing 
uh, especially a chance to get gauge in on this <clears throat> yeah no that's exactly what i was gonna say it's like miles being able to do that as a lefty from the right side is exactly what gauge has been doing as a righty on the oh yeah no, miles so on the right side gauge as a righty on the left side right so he's coming in instead of having to square to the net he's being able to actually face and then just that's it. snap um, you ain't got no headphone it's easy for you to do it <laughs> Here, show us again show the, show the audience again one more time you ain't got the headset show us yes my man <laughs> thank you <laughs> look you're doing what i can i got this wire <laughs> oh oh my goodness well what did i mean what did you how'd the other guy look what happened to your thumb how'd the other guy look <laughs> This happened against Quackle and Hopvig oh, wow. in the Denver AVP. Um, Ouch. Pretty early on in the first set. Like, I, it was a four block again. It hit my thumb the wrong way. I'm like, I'm pretty positive that something's wrong there. And so I, I didn't want to get an MRI until the season was done because I knew I wasn't going to do anything about it. So the day after mother load, I had a preset MRI. Um, I drove home and had an MRI the next day. And, I knew I needed to start getting it healed quickly. You're talking about the thumb, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, look, you as a former indoor player, I'm sure, um, even if it hasn't happened to you, like on that 12-man roster at some point, sometimes you penetrate a little bit early and you get darted and it, and it sounds uglier than it really is. Like the sound, everyone's just like, oh, you know? So yeah, as a former player, I've been there too. And, and as you know, like I'm, I was an indoor setter. So me having a deal, six foot one, having a deal with, um, they're the other team's rock star outside hitter, you know, in system. Sometimes I'm left by myself and I'm, and I'm just trying to figure out ways to, to touch it. And yeah. yeah, so every now and then pop, it's like, boom, you're like, ow. And then you do this and then, and then you play out the rest of the tournament. Cause after a while it just becomes numb or whatever, unless it's so painful, you can't do it, you know? And me as a setter, as uh, that had to use my hands, if it's too much pain, I'm like, I'm out. So ooh, ooh, totally get yeah. that. Yeah. Brutal. I mean, yeah, indoor for sure. Like I've probably broken eight of my fingers, right? This this same thumb, my senior year, a bone popped out of it um, from a dislocation that ruptured the skin. But like this one, I just thought it was a bad jam, like normal, like everyone, every volleyball player. And then after like, after a month, after two months, it's still exactly the same, like just sharp pains when I try to handset and stuff like that. I'm just like, something's not right. It's ended up luckily no surgery, but uh like it's just a torn ligament that took some bone off with it when it tore. So, um, yeah. just out for six to eight weeks, but I'll get back to it. How'd you start with the sport? Why volleyball? How'd you start how'd with the sport? Start? Yeah. How, um, when, when did you decide? Um, I started late. I actually just like going to a, uh, rec gym league with my dad and my brother when I was, I think a sophomore in high school is like my first introduction to volleyball. And like, I played like mm -hmm. old man gym ball and I'm like, this is fun. And then my junior year, I found out like my high school had a team. I was like, really? So I joined the high school team my You're junior like, I year. I thought this is just for girls. <laughs> you know, <God>, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and that's so like, I was playing against like Cody Kessel was in Cheyenne mountain high school and I was Liberty. And so like Cody Kessel was the one that told me that, hey, yeah, like there's, club volleyball but you have to drive to denver so my senior year i i drove to denver and played my my first year i guess of like true organized volleyball right. and then 
yeah, I was hooked. I, I, I luckily got to play a little bit in like an NAIA college um, up to my junior year. Is that Quincy? That college at actually Johnson Wales University in Denver. Oh, that Johnson then, Wales. That was a good, yeah. dude, that's a good program. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Not it, from the uh, East, because I know the other Johnson and Wales, the Rhode Island team or whatever, there's two Johnson and Wales, but uh, continue. Yeah, yeah, the Denver, I mean, we hosted nationals back to back my sophomore, junior year, and then end of my junior year, they shut down the program, and actually the whole school doesn't exist anymore that, at the Denver campus. Oh, um, good Lord. So, but that gave me an opportunity to go play one more year at Quincy, which like super small D1, but I was playing against Ohio State and Loyola at that point and like being a very undersized middle and seeing a whole new level of the game. Um, it was cool. I, you, I, everything about my volleyball journey has been a little bit odd, but oh, I've yeah. really liked it. But the NAIA, what year was that that you, you guys hosted? Or... Um, let's see. I So that was... 2011 to 2014 okay i didn't play 15 and then i played at quincy 2016. yeah well first of all naia is no joke like one of, one of my closest friends i met in my life say do say do ajanako played for cal baptist but i think he played for park before that and he has a cousin named shamzu and and look they're not they weren't in the ncaa but all the ncaa teams knew who the hell they were <laughs> they're, they're like yo that dude's dangerous you know um and quincy university you know the miva um i mean that's a tough conference to play in right i mean that year 2011 i think ohio state won the whole thing um in the decade yeah. of, in fact we can count backwards right it's 2023 but it was the decade of the repeat champions right so from 20 2022 to the past hawaii twice right um long beach state twice and then ohio state twice then, then Loyola chicago twice actually facing lewis in the finals how's that for an, yeah. how's that for an miva scare right division two lewis in the finals and then uc irvine twice and then after that decade of the repeat champions, before that, the year before that, it was Ohio State. And I'm pretty sure that was 2011, 2012. For the audience at home, uh, um, y'all could have, I could have stopped wasting time. Y'all could just leave it in the comment section for me. So, but um, so talk to me a little bit about Quincy of that that one year you played at Quincy. You play? Did you play middle block or outside hitter? Yeah, I played middle blocker. Okay, yeah, thankless freaking job, dude. But I yeah. think, but everyone should play it for one year. Everyone should play it for one year just so they can appreciate it. I yeah, I uh, I mean, I love middle block. I mean, it's the reason why I like hitting Gage's quick tempo sets that we were doing on the sand. Uh, he ran a lot of jump back ones for me to like, it just is natural for me as a middle. Um, but I was never a big hit 10 foot line straight down type middle. I was with the middle that's like undersized and going to find the like open back corner. Yeah, um, dynamic, so, yeah. For me, like being able to have to adapt. I mean, I'm six five, so it's not like I'm short, but like in that land of giants, you know, that's a small middle. What's so, your what's your wingspan? Actually, my wingspan's only like six three. I got short arms. <laughs> um, Kevin McCulloch, did you hear that? Someone's got short arms too, man. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Inside joke between me and Kevin, who watches the podcast, but uh, go ahead. Um, but yeah, Quincy. I mean, I. I loved my experience at Quincy. It was a, it was like a land of misfit toys that uh, coach really just cared about people. He, uh, I was doing this odd like overseas indoor thing where like pay to play indoor like league, yeah, like in 
the Netherlands. And um, that's where the, the coach for Quincy saw me there. He was part of that program. And then when he saw my like online petition, when I went home, I started a petition to like bring Johnson Wales volleyball back, trying to like save the team. He saw the petition. He's like, come play for me. Um, so uh, incredible opportunity. He, he didn't have to do that in a uh, very generous and thankful um uh so i i really i'm plus i got a master's degree out of it. I, I chose not to he wanted me to redshirt one year and then finish my degree my second year i chose to take a year off volleyball finish my bachelor's and then go there one year and pay for my master's okay so that was like the perfect storm that worked out for you uh timing wise and this and that it worked out for him too because he wanted you that year anyway and and i'm glad that happened because you you basically found a way to survive what we called uh the i call the the, the volleyball elimination wave right from 2000 i think from like 2005 to 2015 they were just getting rid of programs cal baptist like i mentioned was nai then they made them ncaa and a couple of years later they were just gone right so um, i'm a guy from the 90s and and just for my east coast people i got to give them love for this uh liu Long island university southampton killer team you know kyle robinson who played on the national team was on a team mike salick you know there's a, a name you know from the Pottstown rumble grass court or whatever um yeah, they got rid of their program. Roger Williams, Rhode Island, got John Harper. Big shout out to him. Uh, one of the more powerful Division three programs got rid of them. Queens College, this Caribbean coach, Carlito, had you know pretty much guys that played on the national team that made the um, EIVA finals in 1997, lost to Penn State, got rid of their program. So I knew it was no, it was just, just this crazy thing where everybody's like, we should have men's beach volleyball for college. And I'm like, why don't you try fixing you know, show a little love for these elite athletes that are that are that are getting it in indoor, man. You know, show. I mean, Jesus. You know, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but I wanted to make. I wanted to to also let you and our audience know that this is a problem. This there was a foreshadowing before that wave came and like consumed all these other these these competitive programs under with it. You know, try to get rid of Stanford. Remember. Stanford was when they went too far. Stanford was when everybody's like, whoa, you know? And I'm like, and my friend, Wendy Jones, whose son is a starting outside at Stanford, Luke Turner. And you might know him because I think Rotman played on that team too at Stanford, Will Rotman. Um, I said, can you imagine if they tried to do that to USC? <laughs> there would be public crucifixions in the South Bay. They would be building these big wooden cross on, crosses on the beach and taking every admin, administrator and literally nailing them to a cross <laughs> in Manhattan Beach. And you would see public crucifixions. And the cop, people asking the cops, you're going to do something about this? And the cops are like, I ain't doing nothing, man. This, that's USC. You, you, you barked up the wrong tree. But uh, um, yes, care about our program. Save our programs. <laughs> Um, give me fan question. A lot of people knew that you played indoor before you, 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 you dipped your toe in the beach or you were doing kind of the same thing at the same time. Bring, give me one or two valuable tools that you brought from indoor that made you immediately valuable on the beach. Um, good question. Was one of them blocking? Yeah. I mean, as a middle blocker i think i had an edge up as far as just like knowing how to like turn the hands and placement right like using them codependently um instead of like instead of one moving motion together like being able to keep one still and then just move the other dependently um 
which is a hard motor skill to learn um, if that's not something that you're already being trained at, right? So that was definitely a big crossover. I mean, the hardest part about being middle transferring to the beach was like you have no serve reps and you have no setting reps. Like nobody, nobody, like the middles are going to go serve at you. They're not the ones in the back row passing, right? So that was the biggest deficit. But like also there's something about, you know, having that, detriment like I, I knew i needed rep over rep over rep like that's something i couldn't slack on if i was going to make this transition to the beach which like I, I didn't like rest on my laurels that like my passing is okay right like i just like this is something i need to drill into my body because it's not used to doing this skill so i think looking at it was almost an advantage i didn't have any of those reps because it led to the creation of being able to like focus on it now if that makes sense it makes complete sense um did outdoor give you a little bit more blocking independence uh, um you know like sometimes indoor you 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 have to protect the middle you have to um help out the wings you have to um remember blocking lanes you know what i'm saying oh. when i played it um when i played overseas um you know blocking lanes one through nine or whatever back then do you feel a little bit more liberated knowing that even though you could have to one commit to your one block and four that as a middle you have more permission to go after the hitter because there's one defender back there and there's no second block to help out yeah especially like when it got up to the speed like when i'm playing at quincy against ohio and loyola like it is just that you don't have time to think you just react chase a ball and go right like just jump and put your hands up there and try to take up space kind of thing and uh like the reason i love blocking and beach more is because it's like i'm not necessarily going up there and trying to get a block i'm trying to force the other player to be uncomfortable enough to do the decision i want them to make right like i'm trying to funnel or shape or create and mold the play into the direction that I wanted to go. So even though I'm not up there getting a block every time, like if I am making him think that something is open and they choose to do a cut shot or a high line, and that's actually like what I'm telling my defender they should be defending, right? Then that's that's a huge win. And so I think being able to have it's it's a little more like chess rather than uh like I don't even know what indoor speed checkers like I, you know what i mean like it's just uh it's a little more methodical yeah it really is yeah and and for me you, you know, i only played one year of college at hunter and and we were basically six six outside hitters where two guys we draw straws two of us got a block middle <laughs> so it, it wasn't it wasn't something that i considered very valuable and like and what you just said until i kind of moved out here where there were some of the indoor middles who decided to play beach um, which, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm just idea sharing, open to new ideas and just just want to listen to people that I have more experience than listen to people that I have more experience than me. My boy, Greg Faulkner, you know, he's an indoor stand at Cal Northridge, um, even on the beach, you know, he's one of the OK for Greg. You're going to love this. He's the guy everyone asks to play fours, but nobody asks to play doubles, right? Because you, you, he has to be able to set his partner and, you know, serve, receive, whatever. But the two things that he brought was the block. Because, like you said, hitters have uh, these 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 cut shot and roll shot decisions to make, but they have to remind themselves there's a cave troll at the net. 
that can f up your world you know wow cut over no problem oh boom knocked down by by greg you know and the other greg uh greg shankle uh, a name uh that a lot of people don't know but um older guy he won the ncaa's in 1992 with pepperdine with dane blanton and um Sorensen or whatever and he you know he lives we live actually we, we walk our kids to school every morning and and he's always oh. he's always he's six eight and he's always giving me some great ideas when i moved here you know because when i moved here i was strictly an indoor guy and i at seven years it's seven oh, years of straight beach this is all i've done since i moved here so i'm i'm less years experience but my sample size doing it 10 hours a day every day since i've been yeah. here i'm more ahead of everybody so but oh, um, but and i thought I you'd appreciate the name uh, uh faulkner because i think he was oh, um, great faulkner yeah. i know him well i mean i lived in hermosa for two years uh and worked at barnacles yep. and like was part of, like i definitely know and have seen and played fours on yeah. h street court right out there and um smack fest, you know yeah. all that the, the dude's a monster right he's yeah. he's he's definitely the one that you want on your fours roster yeah. and um yeah, he's uh it's wildly different of a game isn't it if the fours are double, like well the, the old saying is doubles one is won by the beach players fours are won by the middles and sixes are won by the setters and opposites uh, um mm. right because it's it's more of an indoor game and you can't you, you good luck trying to roll shot on sixes right and especially manhattan sixes where there's you know you gotta hit there's no antenna there's an advantage there's, there's no antenna you got you you can play the poles right you've been in hermosa so and we have a, a lot of mutual friends i think i i think you probably know that like rob de aurora i know you play with a little bit i know rob very very well and he's rob a... was the first guy i ever played a qualifier with uh it was in texas i skyler was like you just got to try one and i'm like i don't have any like he's like text rob and he'll meet you like so sight unseen we show up like off the airplane and say hey i'm ty i'm rob and we stepped on and, and played the qualifier in texas together and uh but we stuck together for a couple of tournaments he is a great dude not just the nicest human off the court but then when i played with him on the court he would throw those like foam banners and like there was one we played the laguna beach open and there was some bad call and i'm sitting there trying to argue my side with a rep of like if it was uh i think it was like a lift or uh like a pole dig right and rob's heated right he's already punted a volleyball and he just like walks off and the ref is still talking to me. He's like, so is this a timeout in the middle of my argument? I'm like, what do you mean? Is this a timeout? He, he just pointed and there's Rob just five courts down, just sitting in the ocean. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, obviously this is a timeout. So like, I had to go. <laughs> there's a guy Rob. hurting the cause, <laughs> right? You're trying to put in an argument and then somewhere behind you, you can't see backstage is, is a gentleman hurting the cause. Yeah. But so, um, Good old Rob. I, yeah. yeah, I miss him. He was, he was a good friend when I lived out there. Yeah. Well, you had me at good old Rob because we, um, before we move on to other questions, I can't emphasize enough what you, when you mentioned Rob, Rob, do you remember the person? Rob Dior or the person's fantastic. Great, fa you know, um, I had the pleasure of um, meeting with him, migrating and coaching a little bit. He played with Rob McLean, uh, who's my Rob. No, um, I was, I coached him and, um, and Rob, um, Manhattan beach open and, we had a tight game against Baranek and Kalinsky, who, by the way, from the qualifier, you want to talk about, we were talking about story and crowd sizes getting bigger. Qualifier to the semifinals. Qualifier, main draw, semifinals. So that was yeah, the team we eventually lost to. And and Rob was a good, I mean, Rob for a guy who who's a control freak that doesn't want to be coach. Um, 
I, he, I wasn't trying to coach him, but I made sure he was close enough to listen to what I was saying to McLean. Because what I was saying to McLean was regards to defensive schemes and its conjunction with his blocking. So he let me coach him by by just listening on the side. And I and and it, we, I mean we did the best we can. I told I basically I told him I said I know how to beat Eric and build the first game. We can win the first set, but beyond that, when they start making adjustments, uh, it's going to take the three of us. And that's what happened. We won the first set because I knew how to beat him, but I knew JT uh, was coaching him, and JT is. He lives in Florida right now. He's one of the masters at making in-game adjustments be between a technical timeout and between the first and second set. And Bill Kalinske, you know, processes that. He's a little bit of a control freak, too. Every every player got something to say. You know, I mean, some people are like, how do you have the freaking bandwidth for Bill? But, but right? <laughs> am, I, am I right, though? But, I mean, another nice person. But, geez, I, like, the conversation, I'm like, the fans are like, wow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> big up to Bill, no big up to Eric. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, what's, how about serve? Like indoor serve, you're, you're hitting the beach. It's not a three man pass, right? It's two, right? And you don't have a middle back passing. That's, there's another va a variable. And, and predominantly, if not, never, no one uses their hands to pass out to outdoors. Uh, um, did you find your serve as a middle, uh, from transitioning from middle to middle to the beach? No, that's, uh, interesting because like as a middle indoor i'm just ripping a jump serve top spin as hard as i can yeah. right um moving to the beach especially in colorado for those who have come out here and played the mother load uh you can't do that <laughs> you know that air is a lot thinner out here it's the ball is not going to dive down to the sand like it is in california so um and it's so funny every year and the denver avp the same thing right like you see these big boys that are just using a bombing serve and it's a, it's a whole different snap here so when i first started in the sand i was like i couldn't serve at all <laughs> you know i mean my serve was gone non-existent um i learned a float serve i'd never like float serve i just started junk floating like this year like i was just to stay on the ground float serve kind of person um but when i like when i did my short stint of living in hermosa like being a, you can jump serve there a little bit more especially if you get a nice consistent oceanside breeze you know you can you can use that wind and kind of wail on a jump serve but here in colorado it's it's much harder for that jump top spin so that was definitely a massive change for me from indoor to beach was just figuring out what was effective and placement over power and it's not necessarily about an ace but it's making sure if if a hitter is less comfortable hitting from the middle than the pin, well, I'm going to avoid serving him on the sideline. I'm going to pinch him to the middle and make his approach somewhere that he has less tools in his toolbox than if I were to serve his sideline. And now he's out in his favorite spot by the pin and can be deceptive. So again, more like chess, right? Like I'll just, the person you are serving is most likely hitting. So it, the thought process behind where you're serving them and how that changes their hit or their attack option, that's not the same as indoor, right? Usually the indoor passers are just passing and they're not yeah. involved in the attack of the play. Yeah, well, and also indoor, it's, it's target specific, right? It's it's timing specific because you get you have to set a middle where where a beach, you you just have to, um, something I, just, I call check the boxes, right? If you're passing high enough and forward enough, so boom, one, now you got your court vision back. 
before your setter even sets the ball. Now you can see the block. Now you can see the dig. Now you can see that girl in the bikini top behind the dig. You know, check who's been who's been checking you out the whole time curiously, right? So, um, and then the second box is 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 the pass optionable? Is it something my hitter can can set onto uh, and set back? And then box number three is it something if my setter decides to set me? Do we have to do it? Do I do I keep my range? Is it, you know, from shoulders to the pole to the time of your contact. So, so indoor really just has to be high enough for you to check those three boxes. I mean, outdoor and indoor, it's timing specific. The set is already there, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, good luck trying to be uh, constantly shooting, you know, shooting passes to, you know, to the top of the tape where your, your guy's supposed to have a running start and try to take off and jump set that, right? Yeah, good setters. Rob Aurora is a good setter. Uh, Scott Chronic. I know you you played a little ball with him too. Uh, a big a big shout out to another guy. I'm just, uh, it's weird because I'm not even like you know um, I don't really talk to a lot of the locals out here, but I, I love me some Scott Chronic and I love me some Rob Aurora and I did it twice. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, what you were saying that the passing for the option is, I think, I think that is the thing that can contribute this mother load, this run that we had is like if I am much less in my head about what am I going to do next as a hitting perspective, like other tournaments, you're like, okay, I tried high line, they dug, I tried cross, I've done that, like, and you're like almost planning your hit before you even pass the ball, right? And playing with Gage and the style of offense that we were running where I just always want him to have an option jump set, the only thing I'm thinking about is connecting to a good solid pass. So it, it kept the first step Wow. more important from the next step yes and just that mindset shift right like of course it should be the pass should always be more important than the hit because you don't have a hit unless you pass the ball right but focusing on like that is the key to your success is having an option pass where it's perfect and your setter is getting the block to go up with him mm -hmm. um it's huge it just dialed in my focus in my game and uh gauge released a lot of pressure for me with his option hitting um there were some plays you had nobody up. It, it was terrific, dude. Yeah, yeah. If you're seeing every single serve in a tournament, there's a level of pressure there. And if your partner can just release it a little bit by taking one or two of those, um, it, it helps a lot. Yeah, man. I, I mean, some of the jumps, some of the plays, yeah, there were definitely a bunch of uh, – enough plays for me to count with both hands where you had nobody up because uh, the set selection was great. And I, I really liked – two things about your pass i like that you weren't passing two option you were just passing where you had the option to hit right sometimes you do that with intention it, it messes up all three plays right the second thing i liked is you um brought the, that little hold at the end and as a coach i'm really big i'm a big stickler on holding your platform at the end so even if you pass low you hold holding your platform uh, educating our audience allows it, it's it for the the set of the best way to for the setter to describe it i feel i felt like the ball was waiting for me to get there to set it the ball was waiting in the air had this hang time it was waiting for me to set that and you'll see a lot of the better passers um i mean i can go partain all day but let's go in the european scene mall and sorum uh mall uh, andrews mall very you know you'll see that indoor hold at the end and with the women almost 10 times the one the guys you'll see betsy, oh yeah betsy flint, oh, yeah. Betsy flint uh preaches hold Usually across the board, you'll see the women's fundamentals and discipline like that with holding a platform is yeah. almost always better than the men's game, I think. Like, yeah, with lower center of gravity, uh, man, and lower net, right? They have to be more honest, right? They're the same size as us playing on a women's height net. <laughs> yeah, uh, the talk about flight trajectory of that ball coming at you at a serve. Like, I 
How's that Catholic? How's that Catholic thing go? <laughs> Down left, right? Yeah, I do that every time I'm on a woman's net, dude. <laughs> yeah, I see like some of the women serving. I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad I'm on the other side of that. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, fan question for the or last episode. I had a Theo Brunner last week, last Thursday, but I think I'd like to re-ask it now because it's just a fun question to ask. It's an interesting question. Is there anything in volleyball, any move in volleyball that should be worth two points instead of one? Is there any move in volleyball that should be worth two like, points? Is that as as far as all right, let's just talk about what points are. Points is are aces, kills, and blocks, right? Those are things that are, are immediate. There are are just mathematical points. Sure. Is there anything in volleyball that should be worth two points? That's uh that's an interesting question. I mean, just like out of pure entertainment humor, like a skyball ace. Of course. Like, just like it's not like the yeah. AV, it's not like the AVP's watching us and be like, yo, Ty Coots, Jason DeVeas, they that's oh, that's a great that's a great idea. Donald Sun, you're fired. We have new ideas. Yeah, no, I mean like would it be entertaining me? entertaining if like a skyball ace is worth two points yeah but then you're gonna get like so many people just doing wild skyballs out all the time that it might be but like the people that can do like jeff samuels he's got a mean skyball sir wow. right um yeah. uh for me i think the coolest play that gage and i did the whole tournament i it was like an overpass from i think it was adam roberts and jeff samuels i might be wrong on what game it was but we had an overpass and it was short tight to the net like some net is here um, and the balls like come in like just right by it. And I passed like a, just a low temple, didn't go above Gage's forehead in front of him. And I yelled back shoot to the opposite antenna. <laughs> and so I just took off sprinting and he did a back shoot and I had to like dive and hit it and it scored a point. Like, I think if you can just <laughs> Yo, do like something that wild, that should be worth two, right? That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> That should be worth two. I think anytime. How about anytime you have a, a set with an open open net, <laughs> two points. Well, for me, I I, I like the block. I, I like uh, you know, or I mean, aces would be great. I mean, I mean, Theo is almost irritated by the whole thought of him. You know, he wasn't thinking of ways he could score. He could use that and score two points. But he, I think, the whole thought of him, someone doing that to him, and they get two points from. I think the question annoyed the hell out of him. <laughs> I'll, I'll call him and ask him later, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so the, I mean, the block is such a momentum changer, right? It's just such a shutdown already that, like, you have a big, big swing that is going to, like, just bounce out of the stadium and you put your hand in front of it and just clamp it. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you, the AVP starts going monster, block, block yeah. right? Like, and that's, yeah, that already feels like it's worth more than one point, right? So that's yeah, why I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I like clean ace. I'll go clean ace. Any any anyone that a, that a, that a player doesn't touch, any any player that a any ace that a player doesn't touch, that's for mm. me. That's my two points right there. That's that's what I'll go. That means you you thought it was out and it was in, or someone's serve is just so devastatingly good on the beach. Um, and mm -hmm. most of them are former indoor players, right? Like, if you remember when Reed Pretty hit the hit the beach, his jump start was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And you live in Hermosa Beach. Remember remember uh, KJ, Chris Johnson? Oh, yeah, KJ. Yeah, talk about length and some snap on a serve. Just get your bulletproof yeah. vest, man. <laughs> so, so Now you see, like, Taylor Sanders coming out and just ripping serves. Like, yeah. And, and that Sunday it rained. That finals, 
it rained and that uh, Wilson Optics. So look, that's not the Mikasa. You know, the Wilson Wilson Optics is going to have a friendly drop, right? Uh, um, yeah. And of course, the Mikasa. Even if you miss, you can't miss the the king of the, or the king of the beach. But Theo was like the guy was already a good server, and to take into consideration we have rain and the balls wet and, and anything that you that had the remote possibility of going out is going in by like three feet. And um, he wasn't making an excuse why he lost the MBO, but he said that was. It, it didn't help, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, clean ace is a good one. Yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, what if like uh, unforced error is just worth two to the other team? Like you just bomb a ball out of bounds. Yeah. The other team didn't have to do anything. Now they got two points. You know, think how that would change the game. It's true. <laughs> it would change the game. But to me, that's also in the category of psychological two points, right? He hit it out and you know the next one, I mean, might even be a roll or or maybe he just like swings as hard as he can, begs the ref for a touch. Like a lot, we see a lot of indoor juniors do, you know, in, indoor junior sixes, you're hitting middle of the court or and begging for a touch and, you're, and the referee's looking at you like so many things <laughs> can go wrong with that choice. You just made son and, and and you get no t and you get no touch here <laughs> right. all right so i know we only uh i don't think you, i don't know if you have a hard stop or whatever and we're past our time but i have a lightning round but i have one more important question i want to ask before the lightning round there are a lot of ups and downs in your volleyball career right sometimes you go and and tournament go kind of goes another way and you're like ah oh, man this way okay chalk it up bad weekend and there's some weekends where you feel like even if you miss you can't miss and you could do no right and do no wrong so all of these ups and downs lead to these moments these championship moments these semi-final moments these these small tournament moments these big these personal moments for you where, where maybe you saw it maybe family and friends saw it too so let's talk about the mother load your name is now going to be etched on on that pole 50th anniversary in the same and this etched next to the Casey's Patterson, Casey Jennings, right? Uh, Derek Zimmerman. I just talked to him last week. I want him to come through next year. I'd love for him to come through and commentate with me and Randy. Um, this this group of just extraordinary gentlemen and and even more more highly competitive players. So, I'll just ask like a media person, how does it feel? How does it feel knowing that your name's going to be etched on there, right? It's because really. The same way Manhattan Beach feels about their name being etched on a boardwalk, uh, uh, just to convey to my audience here, Aspen, Colorado, having your name on that on that pole is huge. It's huge. It's because I want to talk about Aspen, before, but I want to allow you to answer this question because you know, my mind erases so fast I could drive us both off the cliff. How does it feel, man? What talk about that? I uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a feeling like um especially like i had said previously like i grew up around this tournament like before i even really knew it was a big deal right like i'm playing in the grass i i play my first open tournaments there and i never make it onto that like main strip of nets i'm in the back like contenders courts um so now after years i mean it's i'm, I'm 30 now so 15 years of I probably I didn't play it every year, but I probably played that tournament probably eight, nine, ten times. So like a decade of playing that tournament, and now I get the chance to win it and have my name on that post. That's uh, it's pretty wild. It's it's um, it's humbling in a fact that like you realize how long it takes sometimes to accomplish something, you know. Um, and it's just in but the amount of people that reached out afterwards was just heartwarming like 
people I had no idea were like watching or interested in. Like I like I have extended family in Iowa that was like reaching out, like we watched your game and like when my brother's friend group up in Fort Collins that they love the sport. They like all played like the double B A grass level, but they're just like sending videos of everybody they were camping they were at their friend's house they just like pulled open their car and was watching it on their phone like from all across like uh, colorado and some different states sending me videos of where they're watching and supporting from and uh it's just cool like i i'm nowhere near as big of a name as so many in this sport right but then the like i didn't even realize how many people were following this journey along with me and the fact that they took time to reach out and show congrats and support and like my old high school coach karen warnock and like people that have just been a big part of my life coming out and saying congrats and that they watched it and they saw it um was pretty cool you know what's also pretty cool i told randy stokeless you have no idea how magical this place is um to be on a on a general level make sure my mic's still working i think i lost volume but <clears throat> oh no i didn't i i'm all right so i wanted to convey how magical this place is just to be uh you have the mountains in the background it's this majestic view it, it's almost like a green screen for christ's sakes but i also want to convey that there is some really really great competition here right everyone's like you know it's not it's not the same as the nbo and i'm like well you got someone that won the mother load who actually has a victory over the Manhattan Beach Open champions, right? So, so I mean, so we're looking from top to bottom. Yeah, NBO is a place to be, this and that. But this, the thing, there's three things I liked about Motherlute, and I, and I'm, we're gonna go lightning rounds after this. One, I told Randy, you, you, you have no, I'm, not, I can't explain it, but you'll understand when you get there. And he, and when he left, he says, I get it. I get it. He says there's some talent out here. I had such a great time. Um, remember the post-game interview? Randy just had a great time chatting up with you. He might have met you before, maybe not. It didn't matter. He's just, you know, Gage Basie. And, and Randy was one end. The second end was I equate Aspen to the Yankees and Mets Subway Series in 2000, right? The rest of the country didn't care it was a Subway Series. But New York didn't care what the rest of the country thought. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what I give you with Aspen. So before we go lightning rounds, uh, we're going to take turns, do a little 30. I want to do a one-minute shout-out to some of the people, and I'm going to give you 60 seconds too, okay? So let me set my clock. This is what happens when you tech your own show, yeah? All right, have fun with that. One, two, pause. And I won't even take the whole minute to do this, but there's certain names I, I just want to, um, I didn't get a chance to shout out um, before that I want to um, recognize now. So I'll go first, you go second. So big, big shout out first and foremost to Corey Brindell, right? Corey Brindell, you're an absolute mensch. When you bought this, people were apprehensive. They knew you had ideas that, that might've been conflicting with theirs, but you found a way to keep them, make this tournament a little bigger, a little bit more competitive. And at the same time, you kept it intimate. Intimate where, where this small group of family and friends and new people had this emotional investment. Shout out to smiling Jackie Wagner. Jackie, you know, uh, who won with uh, um, Lena Sokolowski, who won this year and was in the semifinals semifinals last year was the best women's match i saw the entire year N not just in motherload anywhere that yeah, that, that match last year was the best match i saw uh women's match of the year 
anywhere. And I'm, and I'm a big fan of Nuts and Clothes. I follow them religiously and disturbingly. Um, but big up to Jackie Wagner. Big up to everybody at Let's Go. Big up to everybody at Kamina. You know, I got some gear from y'all and this and that. Big up to the guys who, who make the most expensive but, but the best tasting burger I've ever had in my life. You know, my, my wife is like, for that money, I better have sparks flying out of it. And I'm like, babe, it does. It does. So shout out to Corey Brindell. Shout out to um, everyone who's been such a great host. Um, you guys are a clique, but it is my honor, duty, and privilege to be part of that clique now. 60 seconds. Shout out. Go, baby. Shout out to uh, your enemies. Shout out to your competitors. Yeah. Shout out to you, Jason, for having me on here, for coming up and announcing the games and putting uh, like on a different level. Uh, shout out to Randy. Obviously, just a legend being interviewed by him after the tournament was just amazing. Um, shout out to Corey, like you said, bringing this tournament and let's go volleyball and uh, the people that are behind the scenes making that happen. Um, huge shout out to just the Colorado volleyball family, like the island, the oasis, like everybody, you know who you are. It's just like the support and love and competition. And if you want to, you can play seven days a week here at good high level volleyball is awesome. Um, obviously shout out to like my mom and dad who put me through club and my family, my brothers and endless pile of support. My wife who served Gage and eyeballs before every match uh gauges that swears that jordan is the reason that we won those games not us <laughs> so um just everybody that's taking the time to say congrats to me that's um you know been there along the way and uh and yeah that's that's 60 seconds so i'm sure there's countless more God to think it. but I, I really appreciate like everybody that's been through it oh you know i said i wasn't gonna cry right you got me. Oh, man, let me, I need a minute. Jesus. I almost cried, man, when you said shout out to just everybody who put it together because I knew the work and, and the not just the work, but the emotional investment and caring how, 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 um, not necessarily the finished product, not necessarily, necessarily the destination, but, but the journey and making sure everyone has a good time and competes and makes it about something where you have this vision that came into full fruition. Uh, one more uh, thing, and this is dedicated to you. This, these are called lightning round questions. I don't know if you watch the podcast, but um, a lot of the same questions, a lot of new ones. Are you ready? These are, these are for you. So, and go. Uh, favorite comedian? Um, Jay Leno. All right. Last good book you read? Oh, The Wealthy Gardener. Last good movie you watched? Um anywhere in theater or on tape okay uh marvel or dc sorry what marvel, marvel or dc okay a uh, pool or beach beach lord of the rings or harry potter harry potter bourbon vodka or tequila tequila for sure favorite sport outside of volleyball oh um ping pong there you go <laughs> <laughs> God, I just wasted five seconds of your time. Uh, um, favorite action film star growing up? Uh, um, uh, it has to be James Bond, whoever was playing James Bond at that moment. Nice. Fav any conspiracy, any favorite conspiracy rabbit hole? Uh, right now it's AI and that we're all in a simulation. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, let me tell you something. Conspiracy three years ago or now spoiler alerts in, in the present day. So, all right, before we get out of here, is there anyone, any we a particular website? I know you're killing it right now in real estate. Uh, um, 
and, right. and just doing good things out there. But is there a particular Insta handle uh, website people want to know more about what you've been up to? Or uh, maybe people have volleyball questions. Maybe there's someone, some young guy out there who's like, I'm a six three, I'm a six five blocker too. Give me some tips. Yeah, um, I mean, my Instagram is just Ty Coots, T-Y-C-O-U-T-T-S. Um, technically, I'm starting like Ty Talks Lending. So any hashtag of Ty Talks Lending, I'm just trying to spread education about mortgages and lending and financing to how to build real estate. Um, so I'm a mortgage lender. I'm licensed in probably 48 states if you're doing investment stuff, like wow. conventional 12. So like, chances are, if you're listening, I'll probably help you out. Even if I'm not doing your loan for you, I just love spreading advice and education because I think you can really create generational wealth through real estate and the power of just owning a home versus renting is huge. So anyone that has any more questions about that, seriously, don't hesitate. I'm not talking about it. Do you have any idea what you just did to our viewership right now? <laughs> <laughs> Watch your DMs light up, bro. All right. So listen, for everybody at home, um, Ty might love you, but I don't love any of you guys. In fact, I'm out of here. All right. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPads, for all of you on your iPhones, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, baby. Old school for Ty Coots. I am Jason DeBellius. This is episode 188 of the Option Podcast. Stay with me. I'm going to hit my music and we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.